Hello and welcome to HIPod, Essential Listening for the Business of Healthcare. I'm Ploy Radford, Editor of Health Investor UK magazine. In this episode, you can listen to a panel session from our Private Equity and Healthcare Conference, which took place on the 1st of March in association with Charles Russell Speechley's. This panel session asked the question of what is next for private equity in healthcare, and answering that question were Stephen Edwards, Managing Partner at Core Capital Partners, Gordon Hamilton, Managing Director at Nexus Corporate Finance, and Christian Dubay, Partner at August Equity. Vernon Baxter, Managing Director of Investor Publishing, chaired. Um, so, my name is Stephen Edwards, uh, Core Capital Partners. Uh, we are a smaller to mid market growth investor, um, typically investing 5 to 25 million of equity into platforms. Uh, we're not a specialist health investor, but it is a sector that we cover. Uh, and most recently, uh, we did a business called PDP, which is a clinical trial logistics provider. And uh, I think Andrew on the board that we just sold ARC, which is our social care provider, to three buyers, mainly City and County, and also to Sam Ray, if he's a member of the So that's what we Even if you are a bigger fund, 
I think you have to be aware of what's what's being what's nascent at the moment, but wouldn't make your you know EBITDA cutoff criteria because the, these are you know early stage businesses. But certainly in healthcare IT, you can I think ignore at your peril the business that's doing two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand in EBITDA because it, if if it gets traction, then, you know, and, and adoption, then it's going to be a five, seven, 10, 14 million EBITDA business. And I think you saw a hint of that with um, the random 4200 that you saw, you know, early, you know, business going from, um, what's the name of this fund, um, Matt, Vespa. So, you know, who would say, you know, all Vespa capital, they're, they're a natural hunting ground for us to, uh, you know, be, doing a secondary from. So yeah, I think it's I, I think it is a, an interesting market in that respect. But conventional private equity, the, the mindset is there aren't enough cash flows there to leverage, therefore it's not gonna make the cut and we're gonna pass. And I think that's that, that may come back to haunt some people. Thanks Gordon. Um, Stephen maybe you could uh, from the, the role of a private equity firm, maybe share your um, thoughts on how the world may have changed or how your approach has had to kind of alter over the last few years. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just echo some of the comments that Gordon's made, actually. I think that the world, you know, if you look at the, where the money has gone so far in the last you know, five, ten years in private equity for healthcare, it's, you know, in terms of weight of money, it's gone into residential care, it's gone into um, staffing businesses. Um, so, uh, and it's gone into, you know, vets, specific healthcare for this bit, we're talking human healthcare, dentists, with a consolidation play, and there's, there's some platforms still doing that. But um, I think the price, or the entry price for all of those platforms is going one way, which is upwards. Um, and, you know, in the old days, you might have done a dentist roll up with four times, maybe four times multiple for buying a practice. Well, now I think you'll be seven, eight, maybe nine times. So, You've got to believe that that price arbitrage will continue for the next three, four years to your exit horizon, um, because actually in those, some of those platforms, you know, price arbitrage on the multiple is a very significant driver of the return. Um, so we are in a world, I think, where this is a highly rated sector. I think we've been through the reasons for why that is the case, but you have to believe that that's going to continue. And I think that's the point that certainly we have got probably more worried about than maybe some others. And again, echoing what Gordon was saying, bear in mind that we're, we're investing in fundamentally non-leveraged cash flow businesses rather than large assets. Um, you know, we need to see growth um, and we need to see, you know, a business that becomes something special at the end for someone to buy it. Um, so we are finding that those platforms where we see them are almost too highly rated at entry point for us to be comfortable making a return in three to five years time. So that is the dynamic that I think we're seeing, I would say actually in the UK market generally, but I think it's particularly true in healthcare. Multiples have definitely gone up, and I think they're 12 times I think, the average number at the moment. So that's a pretty high multiple for one average for a sector, I think. So, so um, with core capital, how do you get the balance right between, I suppose, maintaining price discipline on what you think is too high an entry point, but also being at the table, getting the deals done. I mean, how do yeah. you, how do you, I suppose that attitude 
Uh, well, two things I think really, most of the things that we actually do are quite complicated, and that's not because we love complexity, actually, it's because, um, you know, we are investing in businesses which are <coughs> generally smaller, the business plan and the growth is probably not as well cooked as some larger businesses, so there are usually different stakeholders and with slightly different objectives, so part of our role actually is to bring those together to get a transaction done. So. That's part of it, and so there's an arbitrage in the value there. That's why the lower bid market has got some interest because it's a less perfect market than, than higher up the market size. So that's one issue, and the other issue is actually the structure. Um, so uh, we have uh, done some recent transactions where instead of really having to value a business and doing a you know low net and ordinary share structure, uh, we do a preferred structure in it. Um, that's particularly good when there's some cash out element of the transaction. Uh, so we might have, you know, two times preferred stake in the business, no bank debt in front of us, and some smaller equity stake. Um, and what that does is, frankly, that gives us comfort we're going to get our sort of two times minimum return. The, the stake will get us to maybe three times if it hits its business plan. Um, and that is a, we found quite an effective way of overcoming the price and the headline of the 12 times. So I think, you know, to, to your, to both your question in terms of risk, you know, we've tried to offset the risk of paying high multiples on highly valued businesses by structuring it into a preferred structure. Um, we're also there to do acquisitions, and most of our deals, you know, we maybe put in five or ten minutes to start with. As we get to the life of the deal, we put in more capital as we go through, and as we stage that capital in, our point of view, the risk is coming down. Uh, we're obviously sitting at the table. We control the capital structure, and we can find that we can then um, get happy with the risk reward ratio. Okay, uh, thanks, Stephen. Um, Christian, maybe uh, you could uh, pick up on that point about the um, uh, uh, the arbitrage of uh, multiples you're paying to do these buying builds, and whether or not vendor expectation among, say, the dental community or, or, or the veterinary community or one of those multi-site businesses that you're looking at, I mean, presumably does word get around and people want a higher price, does it get harder to pay this, uh, those sort of multiples? Yeah, I think um, in dentistry, um, actually the the average multiple according to Christie's is 6.6, .6. I think that's probably skewed downwards by small businesses, um, by, by very small clinics, but, um, you know, there are small chains that are all They go around the market and try and find out how much they think they can get for their business and see if somebody's willing to pay that. Um, I think um, I think for us, yes, the, the multiple are going to keep uh, raising. You know, bets are ten times for a single practice these days, but actually uh, net, they're probably sub eight times. We've got the, uh, the benefits of um, procurement savings. Um, I think expectations. Um, are generally managed somewhat by advisors, and dentistry is a well, well broken market in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, advisors will go out at their peril in trying to actually um, suggest they can get 10 times uh, for three practices or the deep one. Um, I think for uh, I think the point on 
it multiple. Um, for us, you know, dentistry is a fundamental uh, service provided by the NHS. We've got the downside protection. It's a big market. Uh, it's 80% independent. There's plenty more to effectively buy in the market. And where um, private equity like things like dentistry is where actually you, can, you know you can keep putting money to work. And so vets, you know, that, that's why vets is now down to 60% uh, independent and still going. Um, according to the advisors, they reckon it will get down to 30% um, at some point in the next five years. So the fact is, private equity firms know they can keep putting money to work. Um, in vets, incidentally, prices are so so high that actually the, the vets, you know, on, on 30, 40, 50k salaries cannot afford to buy a practice. So they are completely priced out of the market. Dentistry, however, you've got a slightly different um, uh, subset of as buyers, and you've got family money effectively buying um, buying practices uh, for the, the lifestyle of their children who are dentists quite often, um, so they are prepared to pay higher multiples for single clinics. But even that's going to be stretched as we, you know, as, as more private equity moves to the market and it is. Um, but yeah, as, as you know, um, as we've seen in the vet market, I think um, there is quite a lot of interest in pan-European roll-ups. IPOs. Um, there haven't been too many healthcare IPOs, and uh, vets and dentistry will be. Yeah, there will be an IPO in the next couple of years, I'm sure. Um, there will also be American buyers who will look to buy you know, solid uh, European platforms. In terms of um, exiting from a buy and build strategy, um, it doesn't buy and build strategy makes a lot of sense. But obviously, there have been some instances where the people who have acquired it haven't either haven't been able to continue that process or the integration hasn't quite worked. I mean, how confident or how, how, how many questions, how, how much does that come up in the due diligence from people that you might be looking to exit to? Is it like, will this really hang together after I buy it? I think it's a very important question. I think for uh, for us, you know, the investment is in the of the team making sure that actually you have invested in pulling all the support functions of the individual practices uh, within industry, uh, for an example. Um, actually is, is fundamental to show that you know it is scalable. Um, I think if you try and run a business too lean, uh, it is at your peril. Uh, dentistry in particular, where it is quite an operationally geared uh, model, so if you lose you know, a few percent on your NHS um, uh, uh, contract uh, fulfillment, actually can have quite a, quite a devastating uh, impact on your bottom line. So operational uh, investment is absolutely key. Um, I think you know, uh, where it's come up in, um, in, in kind of sales for us, uh, as you look to the next buyer, um, what are they looking to do? They're looking to effectively double the size of the business. They want to know that they can still acquire, uh, and they've got a team that, that can effectively handle it at the top. They will need to invest in the, in the mid-team, the mid-tier management team. Um, you know, how many practices can a, a regional director manage? probably at most, um, so there will be continued investment. It is a proportional revenue basis that it should be measured on. I think where we've seen problems uh, post-sale is effectively where you've got investors who don't know the sector. Um, so we have had uh, one of our care businesses effectively acquired by a trade buyer um, and changed 13 of the top tier management team. And of course, you know, you're going to have problems. Um, 
<laughs> it could have been a bit crazily. <laughs> so including, you know, including the CEO in the first three weeks, and I think you know, that is where the strategy is going to take a very different direction. And if you've not invested in those kind of sectors before, healthcare sectors, um, it can go wrong. Sure. Um, Gordon, if you were advising a client and we're looking over, let's say, a five-year uh, time horizon, um, if they're looking to maybe partner, or looking to uh, bring private equity into the business, I mean, going back to the question of kind of what PE firms bring to the table, which Christian kind of covered a bit in his. I mean, what are the what are the pros that you would advise a, a client on potentially taking investment from private equity, and what are some of the potential downsides? Well, obviously, with these two deals, um, it's without getting into a, a kind of a political dimension. Uh, a lot of the vendors that I speak to are owner-founder entrepreneurs, and one of the incentives that the government has in place is entrepreneurs relief and tax at 10%, and, and you get to spend that money once you've paid your 10% tax on, on sale up to 10 million pounds, which is, which is 10 million pounds per person, so you put your in your wife's name, trust her, uh, and, and you can, you know, it's a very, very good incentive, and I think there is a, you know, whether it's true or not, there is a perception that with the Labour government that that would go, and given the fragility of the UK's political dynamic at the moment, I think that's probably the, the biggest factor that wears uh, on, on, on vendors, I think, there are some businesses that just, for whatever reason, won't go to private equity. They, you know, whether it's, and, and it's more because the entrepreneur is, is a Richard Branson, is a, they're unmanageable. So they wouldn't, they, they couldn't live with a minority stake and someone else around the board table. Uh, and so that, you know, they will, if they're ever going to exit, it will be 100% to trade because all PE is just going to have to get, you know, it's 100% cash out on day one, which again goes into the whole, you know, you've got to you've got to really assess the risk profile of doing the deal. But that's what you might have to do to buy that business from from the private equity guy. I think, you know, there are a couple of funds now that have come in, inflection that you know will do, we can participate in, in the whole capital structure, we'll do minorities, we'll do majorities, um, and, you know, that is of interest to, to some people, and uh, it, it's just choice, I think it's, it's a reflection of the markets just getting more and more sophisticated, such that you can, you know, even, you know, people are just leveraging up their, their, their business uh, themselves, rather than doing it through, uh, you know, the, allowing the private equity guy to do it. So, um, the the biggest differentiator though is sector expertise. So the and, and I think again is it the market's just that much more sophisticated now? I think if you they, they want to know that whoever's coming in and is going to be around the board table is going to add value, so that everyone's interests are aligned, such as you you will get that two and a half three times. Uh, multiple on exit in your three to five year time frame. And the days that you can just kind of rock up with his check, 
Um, and then we'll be attending a kind of board meeting once a month just to confirm that it's all right. I think, I think they've gone. I think people want to know what doors you're going to open, what experience you've got. And, and you're seeing that now with you know, a lot of sector-specific funds or you know, generalist funds that have very well-defined sector-specific teams. Stephen, does that tally with your experience of when you sit down with the sort of burner founder type of uh, entrepreneur that uh, Gordon describes? And how does that normally go? <laughs> well, just for the record, we would love to find things that we can rock up with a check and look after once a month and get three times <laughs> at the exit. So if you've got any of those, just um, send them my way, please. Um, they don't exist, actually, I don't think. So uh, again, particularly in the lower mid-market, you've got to work hard. Um, and you've got to add uh, a lot. I'm not sure it has to be sector specific. I mean, some, in some sectors that helps, and I think healthcare is one of those. Um, and it is one where we have a, a healthcare panel that helps us look through the healthcare market. Um, but in other sectors, I mean, actually, a lot of these companies have the general issues of how do you grow a business, defining a strategy, implementing a strategy. Particularly, we, we tend to be very involved in senior level recruitment. Uh, and actually, uh, some of these guys, they're very good at some things. Um, they're usually appalling people managers. Um, and they're usually not disciplined. <coughs> and they've got to where they've got to by you know, enthusiasm, frankly, hard work, and great talent in one sector, usually sales, not always. Um, but they leave a lot behind in their wake. And they often actually need someone external come along and say, you need you know, a CFO or whoever it is, um, and this is why you need it, and we've done this 55 times before, you know, this is how you recruit a CFO. Um, and you know, it might sound quite simple, but actually these guys do, do actually value the input from someone at their sort of level who has been there and done this kind of lived journey, not quite the same way that they do, but A lot of our investments end up being less about the deal structure of the money, really, and much more about you know what does the journey look like over the three to five years that we're going to be with you. And you know sometimes we get very very involved in these businesses. Um, sometimes we don't have to be very involved in these businesses, which is great. But they all go through periods where you know we need to do something. Um, a question for all of the the panel. Um, again, sort of looking over the kind of time frame of the next few years. Do you think do you think it's going to be important to have a strategy <coughs> per se about the, the areas of the market that you want to be involved in, or is it more about the businesses themselves, regardless, sort of subsector agnostic? Um, so, are, which of the two, if you're weighing up, you, would you kind of put more store by? So I think the way the way I think we approach it is effectively we need to look at subsectors that first of all are interesting. And I think in healthcare um, you really do need to be able to navigate funding. So you know where is their security of funding? Where is their growth? You know if you start looking at kind of um, the kind of lower acuity healthcare um, sector that's funded by local authorities. NHS, we know it's all under pressure. Um, where it's growing, private pay, you know, people are paying to, to avoid NHS queues. 
So for us, it's kind of looking at, first of all, which subsectors are of interest. And then I think, you know, it's assessing within a particular subsector, actually, you know, who are, who are the movers and shakers. And so that's when you start to really dive into Um, I, I can dodge this question because I'm, I'm not the investor, I'm just the, it's, it, it's, it's, it's other people's money, um, which I'm, I'm, genuinely though, part of, part of the reason I love my job is I don't know what I'm going to be working on in 6 to 12, uh, 18 months time and, um, and maybe to answer, half answer the question, is I just thought, well, if I, if I kind of look at today's whip list of what I'm aware of that's, that's in the market, and in broad brush terms, so we don't, you know, you don't get into an argument on description of, you know, is, is physio in primary care or is it a consumer health proposition, but I've got dentistry, 15% of deals that are in the market at the moment are that I'm aware of a dentistry hottest area is healthcare IT um, and 25% of uh, you know, what's, what's about now is in healthcare IT. I can only think that is going to continue. Um, diagnostics 10%, primary care 15%, uh, pharma 10%, vet 5%, uh, services broadly defined 5%, secondary care 5%. So. It, there's a good spread, and then you, you get into the definition of what's healthcare and is, is veterinary healthcare. So, um, but I, I think the the transformational amounts of money that will be made by the people in this room will be around healthcare IT, and it's not going to it, it, it's finding stuff that works. But the problem is there are so so many of these early stage businesses that. It's defining which, which ones are going to be the winners and, and how do you pick the winners. But if, if you look at the fundamental dynamics of the sector, the, there's a capacity problem. And you, you know, where you say it's mental health, there aren't enough mental health professionals, can you use technology to open up that market? The delivery of healthcare is done. It's one of the few industries that just hasn't been, uh, hasn't felt the impact of technology. And it's going to, it, it, it has to happen. It's becoming unsustainable, it, it's not affordable. Um, so that will drive innovation. And, and the knowledge economy, therefore, you know, has to be a, a participant in some way, shape or form. In, in creating the next kind of big, you know, the, is that alley with his Babylon? Probably not, but there will be, I think there will be businesses that will come and will, will nail the market. And they're probably names that we're not that familiar with today, but in five years time, it'll be that whole, God, it wasn't that smart an idea, but they've executed really, really well, and it's now a really big business, and that's to, um, you know, the quality of the management Finally, uh, Stephen. Can I answer that question as well? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think in, in the balance, I mean, you need a bit of both. To hedge my 
start paying people 15, 20 years of a company's earnings on, on day one because you, you, that business has got to deliver for 15 years before you start making a return. And, and I think if people just put things into perspective, then uh, you know, I think it would be good for, for everyone around the table. Sure. I think I uh, completely agree. I think it's a seller's market at the moment. I think um, you know, the entrepreneur's relief is one point, but I think um, the fact is there's um, $3 trillion under management by private equity, $1 trillion of dry powder today. I think there's lots of money chasing a few far between deals, very competitive deals. Um, and you know, we're in a, a very uncertain environment. And so you know, the Brexit risk, Government risk, I think, is effectively driving people towards uh, what Claire uh, referred to as a safe haven um, and uh, of healthcare. And um, I think, where do I see it going in, in the future? I think um, I don't think the uncertainties are going to suddenly stop until we, you know, until we sort it out, Brexit. And even then, you've got the, the recruitment issues still to still to come. Here. Uh, you know, what's the uh, trade uh, regime going to look like, etc. So. I think there's still going to be people putting money up. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, that brings us to the end today. I just want to thank, uh, to reiterate what Michael said earlier, just thank everyone for um, uh, braving the uh, conditions and coming today. We appreciate it. I know that the, uh, the beast from the East is currently appears to be dormant, but it's probably just about to wake up for rush hour. So um, we're going to have some drinks just through there. Uh, but uh, just before we do, I just want to thank Michael and uh, CRS for hosting the event once again, and also to thank our final <coughs> panel for, um, uh, for their contribution, and also Christian to set up him. Thank you. Thank you for listening to HIPod. If you found this episode interesting and want to hear more insights on the business of healthcare, you can subscribe via healthinvestor.co.uk.